0: It's such an honor, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought. And um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. (laughs) Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the book she's asking questions about (laughs) and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really
1: special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat, great chat, you're a good
0: interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do, honestly I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books.
1: This is episode 204. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. In this podcast, I chat to authors about their books, the writing process and how literature can change the world. James Foley makes picture books, middle-grade novels, and comics for kids. He's the author-illustrator for the S. Tinker, Inc. graphic novel series for Middle Primary. Brobot, Dungzilla, and Gastronaut star Sally Tinker, the world's foremost inventor under the age of 12. Today, we're going to chat about the fourth in the series, Chickensaurus. James also illustrates the Toffle Towers series written by Tim Harris, and has contributed to Total Quackup* Up and Funny Bones. My Dead Bunny in The Lion, The Last Viking and The Last Viking Returns all scored several honours including Children's Choice Awards, short listings in the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year Awards and selection to the International Youth Library's White Raven list. The sequel to My Dead Bunny, There's Something Weird About Lena, is out now. Children's author Tim Harris is also back in the co-hosting chair for this one. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, James Foley.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Danny. It's great to be here.
1: It's great to have you. And welcome to children's author, repeat guest and general legend, stepping into the co-host for this episode, Tim Harris.
2: Hello, hello, everyone. I hope you're all well.
1: (laughs) Hoping to get some uh, secrets here because, of course, James illustrated uh, Toffle Towers written by Tim. And basically, James, I want to know the dirt on Tim. What's it like working with him?
0: There isn't any dirt. There's, there's nothing. Tim is squeaky clean. There's no, it's all, it's nothing nasty
1: to describe.
0: Um, I wish that I could say that he's a tyrant and that he told me I had to redraw everything. But no, Tim was a dream to work with. Um, I had lots of room to, to put my own quirky sense of humor into illustrations into the book. And that's what you want when you're an illustrator. You don't want to be told, Now his hat has to be red and the building has to look exactly like this. And, oh, man, when you get when you meet writers like that, you just go red flags, whoop, 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 you got to get out of there. But, um, no, Tim was the
2: ideal. He was the best. We'll, we'll probably have to talk about the Toffle Towers 3 edits at some stage. I'm not sure how because that rewrite may have affected your illustrations, which I apologise about. No, no, I wasn't brought on to... Um, to illustrate number three until that was done, I think. Oh, okay, good. Cause yeah. Otherwise, it would have been everyone's work out the window. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> essentially rewriting. the. Whole, so it wasn't an edit. It was actually these structural edit is the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I think maybe the only thing that affected me then was just maybe my timeline was shifted along. Yeah. yeah. That was probably the only thing that happened. I did end up having to do illustrations in the middle of book week in Sydney.
1: That's the only thing.
0: That's the only thing. Everything else is fine.
1: Well, tell us about that process, Tim. So would you normally give drafts to James and James would start the illustrating process, but then if you get a huge structural edit, then that's a problem. Could potentially be a problem.
2: Yeah, it could it could potentially be a problem. I think by the sounds of it, um the manuscripts only get through once they're approved it to a certain degree so if so for instance with book three that was a whole rewrite so in other words it would be fruitless which i'm glad that's why i apologize because i thought oh no i hope he hasn't you know done it and then had to scrap everything so yeah it was a complete rewrite so it would be fruitless to send him that first draft because it was none of it you know went through a tiny bit went through to to the rewrite um yeah so that's the process um but then I, i get this lovely generous email from james that says, um, here's all of my process drawings for book one, uh, which I'll let James sort of tell you more about. But the cool thing is, gee, it makes for some great school talks because kids love seeing this. So you can kind of show them early concept sketches, how key language is used. Um, You know, James actually scales the text for uh, the key adjectives, the verbs, the technical nouns, these things that an illustration essentially is based off um yeah and then and then interpreted and kids really enjoy seeing that stuff but i will let i'll let james tell you more about that because there's a lot of there's a lot of illustrating that doesn't get seen
1: Mm, and i love that yeah that's true james i've seen i've seen all those process um drafts on social media and i absolutely love them so yeah tell us about you sharing them with tim and tell us how you use them
0: yeah, for sure. I think, backtrack just for a second, because we're talking about draft and, and whether whether I get the manuscript at an early stage or late, I think with book two and book three, I got it at a late stage. But with book one, I got it at a very early stage um, when um, some of the characters had different names, some of the characters were multiple people, and they got turned into one person instead. And that was, I guess, just to give me as much um, of a lead-up as possible um, to be able to design the series and the imagery, uh, the setting. In the characters, because getting a series off the ground, as I've learned, is the hardest part. Um, other books, down a series, are a lot easier once you've established the characters and the tone and the style and the setting and everything else. But with book one, we needed to design not only all the characters, and Tim loves a cast of you know lots of characters. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's great for me too because I get I love making characters. But then it was a whole setting and, and the whole hotel is a character in itself. Mm. Um, so we had to design that hotel and not only the exterior, but also the interior, the lobby, where a lot of scenes would take place over the series, um, rooms of the hotel, um, all sorts of things like that. And then secret passages too, which were really fun to include. <laughs> um, so yeah, designing all of that stuff took, took a long time, but was so much fun and, um, and then, yeah, it's just really great being able to share that on social media, but also I'll share it in my school talks and Tim can share it in his and we can give kids a bit of insight into that behind-the-scenes process and how, how things come together.
1: And, Tim, tell us about the rewrite. So what happens with book three?
2: Um, that was a simple case of... Um being a bit lazy on the road, and I probably should have been writing in hotel rooms. Um, um, unfortunately, my laziness meant that James had to illustrate in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was the end of a... I should have been writing weeks weeks ahead, but in Term 3, 2019, I had 46 consecutive school visits in 46 consecutive school days, with week, wow. weekends travelling and weekend events as well, and so that left me nine days to write the book. And so I wrote the- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> how how and, many words uh,
0: per day is that, Tim?
2: Yeah, some of them were pretty. So my sweet spot is usually about a thousand words a day, and the manuscript came in at about twenty-seven thousand. So I was averaging three thousand a day. Some of and some of those days were up to four and a half, I believe um and that's not a good idea because then the edit came through. do you know that the ironic thing is i said to my wife when i submitted it, i said i think i'm going to write like this from now I, like, I reckon i've nailed this <laughs> <laughs> instead it was me who got nailed so uh yeah not recommended but it does i think it, it, it and i actually do share that with with students at schools as well as a prime example of how sometimes you can fool yourself into believing you have a a solid piece of work but it's just not worth rushing it's actually not worth it because there are things you might not even consider that, that get missed in that frantic pace so I think there's you know you've got to find a pace that works for quality control whole thing got rewritten. and then yeah and look we do have a great team of editors at, at Penguin Random House um, and the editing it made such a difference and I'm so proud of that book it's it came together so well in the end yeah.
1: I love that creative process, Tim. Of, you know, how that it's always filled with such self-doubt and all of a sudden like, no, nah, I've, I've nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love that story. So really it's it's whatever you, the opposite to what you're thinking is what the actual work is. So if you're filled with self-doubt, it's probably good. If you think you've nailed oh, it, maybe you
2: haven't. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't worked it out.
1: <laughs> I think
0: everyone probably has like their own maximum speed that they can work at and still maintain quality don't they Mm. and and some people can i don't know how but you know like jackie french can pop out a million books a week um (laughs) but then us mere mortals can only you know make so many stories at a time
1: asked Jackie French about that because I said to her you know you've got like I think she had 10 books out or something ridiculous in the year but she said she's actually worked on some of those books for a decade interesting. so yeah nice. so it's interesting that she works on pieces of work but it takes her a really long time but she just works on multiple things at a time so I just thought how do you do this are you cloned or something but she's amazing yes.
2: It's, it's interesting you look at you know Matt stanton's his output in the last couple of years and and Jackie Harvey just phenomenal, but they do they you know they they work so far out in advance, and the publishers know this as well, so they have very clear deadlines and things um but yeah it's it's a juggle definitely
1: we, we talked about how many words you know Tim can write a day a thousand is the sweet spot. What about illustrations james
0: um it depends on the project, so with Toffle Tower's book two book three, I could pretty much knock out the 25 illustrations in about two or three weeks. Um, it would take about a week to do all the roughs and then two weeks to do all the finals, roughly speaking. But the first book took a couple of months because there was just so much work involved in the setup, in, in preparing the whole sort of series. Um, once all that groundwork was was done, then that's, that's why we could get through book two and book three relatively quickly. But then, say, a graphic novel, like Chickensaurus, which came out um, 29th of September, that one is 200 pages long and I could maybe get three and a half final pages done a day. Wow.
2: wow. Is that that's so, similar
0: to Gastronauts? Yeah, similar style but but longer. So Gastronauts is about 140 pages and so yeah. Chickensaurus is 200. It's the longest book I've ever done. Um, yeah, that takes a lot longer. So all the roughs. um wow process before that as well.
1: Well, that's great. Well, I love Chickensaurus and we are here to talk about Chickensaurus and my son actually read it to me. He's eight and um, we sat in bed and he read it to me and we were talking before about, you know, can you read a graphic novel aloud? Apparently you can. We've we've mastered it, I think. <laughs> but it was nice to have a story read to me. You know, as a parent, you're always doing the reading, so it was nice to have him read it to me. And it was such a fun a fun story as well. And you also have, um, there's something weird about Lena coming out too.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a picture book for older readers. It's the follow up to My Dead Bunny, which has got a bit of a cult following since it came out in twenty fifteen. Um, and yeah, that one, that one uh, is coming out oh October seventh. So that one is um, yeah, it's a strange little book. It was heaps of fun to illustrate, but again, there's going to be some people who just it's not it's not for them. It's um, We'll see. We'll see. It's, it's definitely for, mostly for older readers or for, for younger kids who like weird stuff. It's a little bit creepy, but it's also funny. Um, and it's just, it's never going to be read on Play School. It's just not that sort of <laughs> picture.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm really looking forward to it. When I saw, you know, the promo for it and there's something weird about Lena, I thought, I need to get my hands on this. But give us an elevator pitch for Chickensaurus. It's such a wild idea.
0: Chickensaurus. It's, it's Jurassic Park with chickens. <laughs> <laughs> that's the elevator pitch so jurassic park is my favorite movie i just absolutely adore it um and it terrified me it scared the pants off me when i saw it at the movies when it first came out i was about 10 or 11 or something um had my eyes closed for most of the running time that their dinosaurs appear on screen i was just the noise of them was just terrifying but um i love it i love it love it and i've got little references to it in lots of my comics um dungzilla and gastronauts that the other two earlier two in this series they've got little references to it there's a reference in there something weird about lena to it so it sort of seeps into a lot of my stories <laughs> um, but chickensaurus is about sally tinker she's the world's foremost inventor under the age of 12 and normally we see what her inventions are about but in this book we see what her nemesis uh what he's building and he's making a de-evolving ray so you can zap things and de-evolve them into one of their more primitive ancestors. So if you zap a goldfish, you'd get a prehistoric fish. If you zap a human, you'd get a prehistoric ape. And if you zap <laughs> a chicken, you'll get a dinosaur. And so Dexter Maelstrom, he's the, the rival to Sally, he's been creating all these strange little chicken dinosaurs, uh, including a Chickensaurus rex, a rooster, um, <laughs> uh, an Eggosaurus a trifeathertops, And uh, one day he ran out of chickens, so he used a duck and he made a terror (laughs) duck tail. So there's all these strange, um, wacky chicken dinosaur hybrids. And then of course they get loose and cause lots of destruction. And you know we got to find out if Dexter is the one behind this foul plot or if somebody else is the
2: bad egg.
1: Oh, I've nice. got to ask
2: because there's so much nice wordplay going on there James. <laughs> are you are you coming up with ideas visually and conceptually in your head or are you actually come out with the word ideas first and then going from that?
0: Good question. It's a combination of both. So I'm partly just sketching strange little chicken dinosaurs and seeing what I can come up with, but then I'm also thinking what are the most common dinosaurs that everybody knows um, so that they'll actually get the puns. Yes. So Everyone knows what a Tyrannosaurus Rex is. Everyone knows what a Velociraptor is, and a Triceratops, and a Stegosaurus, and a um.
2: We all know what a Velociraptor is. that <laughs> 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 what I said. Yeah. I'm so used to saying Velociraptor. I just don't know if Colonel Sanders knows what that is because that's profit. <laughs> oh my goodness! Would they, they have to. They have to catch
0: it first. That's the thing. <laughs> um, that's the old joke about the 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 farmer who who bred a chicken that's got three legs and everyone's like, oh, wow, what do the legs taste like? And he goes, I can't catch it. I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I just sort of did a combination of sketches. Then I thought of the real dinosaur names and then said, okay, what chicken puns can I make out of these ones? Yep. And those are the ones that ended up in the book.
1: What do you like about working on something when you're both the writer and the illustrator? Because we've talked about, you know, the collaboration, specifically with Tim. What is it you like about working on something when you're, when you're doing both?
0: You get to have full control over the whole process and over the whole story, which is really nice. Um, it does mean more responsibility, though, as well in a way. Like if it if it tanks for whatever reason, then it's all your fault. You can't blame um, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but I never, I would never need to because Tim's writing is so good. Um, so yeah, there's look, there's benefits to if you're illustrating for somebody else. The benefit is that. Um, you just have to show up and just illustrate what's what's been written. So it's just a much more relaxed sort of process. Um, But you just don't have control over the whole story. Um, Luckily, with Tim's stuff, there's all sorts of things to draw that are really fun to draw anyway. So... Um, I don't have to be a diva and go, I'm not drawing that. I'm going to my trailer. You know, I wouldn't ever do that anyway. (laughs) Um, But do you know what I mean? So, yeah, with with Chickensaurus and the other comics that I've made and some of the picture books I've done by myself, I guess I just get to have full control and and I get to make a story that's about something that I really want to make it about. So I, I can pick things that are really fun to draw, but I can also try and sneak a little message into there as well.
1: Yeah. It's a wild idea. The, um the ray gun that turns, you know, the, the current animals into prehistoric animals and my kid just loved it. How do you know that kids of that age group are going to find that funny and wild and entertaining or don't you?
0: I, I just <laughs> kind of, I just kind of guess. I think my maturity level is pretty much still there at that same <laughs> age. So the stuff that I'm interested in and the, the awe and wonder that I find in 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 science and crazy sci-fi topics is pretty much the same way I felt when I was that age. So yeah. I, I kind of just hope that if I find it interesting and funny that some other kids my age <laughs> my <laughs> mental my mental age are gonna find it interesting and funny too. Well
1: look, um, I found it funny too, James. I found it hilarious and funny too. I was laughing right along with the eight-year-old.
0: Oh, good. Excellent. You must be the same maturity age as me then.
1: I think we might have established that.
0: <laughs> I think the other thing that was kind of weird about it, though, was um, it wasn't actually that far-fetched because scientists have been, you know, know that, that dinosaurs evolved into birds over millions of years, but then also birds are considered modern living dinosaurs, um, which I kind of didn't know until I was researching the book. And then I discovered too that... Um, scientist called jack horner he's a paleontologist he's the guy who he consulted on the original jurassic park film and he was the model for um sam neill's character dr alan grant anyway he he is trying to create a chicken source for real
1: wow
0: and he's been trying to do that since at least 2014 um he's he's not using a ray gun though he's using (laughs) that's disappointing (laughs) (laughs) he's manipulating the dna so he and his team are looking at the dna of chickens and they're trying to turn certain genes on or off in order to change the way that it develops. So they've already figured out how to make the beak grow teeth. Wow. They've already figured out how to do that. Um, but they're also working on trying to make it grow like a long lizardy sort of tail and trying to make it grow arms with claws instead of wings. And these are things that, these are features that dinosaurs had um, along the way. Um, there were even some, some dinosaurs discovered in the last couple of years that look very much like birds, except Mm. they have claws coming out of the end of their wings. Um, So, yeah, it's not that far-fetched. And they'll probably do it in our lifetime. It'll be a chicken source, but it'll be like the size of a chicken.
1: Don't you find it bizarre that scientists are working on creating an animal that's probably going to eat them?
0: (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) I mean, they they don't sound too worried. They're just saying it'll Hmm. still be a chicken. It'll just be a chicken with teeth and Hmm. and a tail. And it's like, yeah, but that sounds like every single... (laughs)
2: sci-fi you know tropes plot um it, it, you know think what the, you create will come back sorus, to haunt you i think it's probably going to struggle to make a little ripple in a glass of water sitting in a car it's going to have to be jumping <laughs> from a pretty high distance so it's you know it's the kamikaze chicken saurus that's going to have that effect on the cinema audience <laughs> that's right but then maybe it will end up in kfc like the velociraptor. you know
0: maybe you'll be able to get a chicken saurus snack pack or something <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: wow, and as usual, the conversation has taken a turn. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tim, you've got something special cooked up, haven't you? Speaking I, of KFC and Rooster.
2: <laughs> I do have something special cooked up. For listeners and viewers who may remember um, a few episodes ago, or probably 10 or 12 ago now, we had a book quiz with uh, some authors. And I think I think Jacqueline Harvey ended up coming out on top, didn't she, Danny? Yeah,
1: she did. She did. She, she smashed and,
2: it. And who did she take down in that episode? I think Felice. Um. So, James. In short, where I'm going with this ramble is, the quiz was how well do you know your own book? <laughs> oh no! So okay. I've gone through Gastronauts, uh, which I'm holding holding here in my hand, and I have five questions because I've, look, I've chosen an odd number because we will have a winner. It will be either Danny and myself. Or you, someone will come out with three plus points. Um, some of the questions are harder than others, but you have to make sure that you don't have the book and you're at your uh, in your studio there, so you can't no, reference it. it. It's
1: not here. And look, just before we start, Tim is the hardest marker ever. Last time he was giving out quarter points. <laughs> what? I must warn you, quarter points. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like in your primary school class, Tim? <laughs>
2: Quarter point for you. Yeah, it was three and a quarter out of five stars. Good. (laughs) Okay, first question. Word for word, what is the first sentence in Gastronauts?
0: Um, Yeah, all the books start with, um, oh, man, I'm going to get quarter points for this. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, Greetings, I'm Sally Tinker, the world's foremost
2: inventor under the age of 12. One out of one. Well done.
1: Oh, one point. That's massive, the team. That's That's massive.
2: Really well done. Okay, next question. Um, Early in the book, approximately page seven, Um, (laughs) Sally Sally has shrinkified three objects. Yes. What are they? They are a boot,
0: a coin, a 20-cent coin, by the way, and uh, um. What is the third thing? Uh, a rubber ducky. Bing!
2: Two and a quarter out of two. Because the 20 cent coin, you know, like, you're calling me harsh, but I'm, I'm going to go bonus marks here. Okay, <laughs> oh, Fantastic.
1: <laughs> it um, just goes from one extreme to the other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, next question. What is the only way to stop... Um, to stop Joe being smart with the smart chip, to stop him being smart with the smart chip. Well, to, to stop the um the smart chip getting to his brain. Oh,
0: um, well, if if you can't um, if you can't neutralise all the little smart bots and everything, then you have to get onto the smart chip itself and you have to manually shut it down using the control panel. Bing. <laughs> He's, he's good. He's
2: okay. killing it. Ne- next question. This is this is the hardest one. In fact, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, there is a, a very hilariously illustrated full page. So this I should explain to the listener and viewer. Um, uh, a lot of the pages have, have sp- sort of been split into panels, but we have a full-page illustration of Sally Tinker's brother, uh, Joe... <laughs> blowing wind in a public space and it's just going everywhere (laughs) Uh, and there's a bus what number is on the bus
0: are you kidding (laughs) um usually if i include a number it's somebody's birthday in a book um so i'm wondering if i've done that can you tell me how many digits it is uh
2: no <laughs> um, okay. okay. I'll look, i I'll, I'll, fair enough. I'll, I'll say there's four digits. Okay, then it will be two one one two. Bing!
1: Oh wow! i have given the clear. Okay, so what's the significance of that yeah, number? Who was born on the twenty first of the twelfth? <laughs> that, <book is, laughs> that book is dedicated
0: to my son. Um, and it's his birthday.
1: Oh, lovely! So if you ever forget, you just flick through your book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, right, that's right. What number was that bus again? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so good Okay, next question uh, We talked about wordplay earlier And how um, you know you do include a lot of wordplay in your books There are two mm. puns towards the end of the book When um, they are in the bowels And it's not a nice place to be It's a bit stinky and, there, and there's a bit of a wave coming And there are two puns linked to the word tsunami What are yes. the two puns? A punami and a prunami James Foley has just scored five out of five. Congratulations. No, five and a quarter. Five and a quarter, and a quarter. out right. of five. For the bonus question, James, yes. uh, what is the ISBN of <laughs> <laughs> astronauts? Well, usually when I'm choosing the ISBN, I use people's <laughs> birthdays. So so who was born on 9781925511682? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was a great score. Like yeah, I've never seen a score like that, really. I think, you, I think you've improved your scoring too.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Look, I have a reputation to not maintain. So.
1: <laughs> Poor Felice. He's listening to this going, I got one and a quarter points. Yeah. James I want to just talk a little bit more about your illustrations can you tell us how you developed your style because I'm looking at Chickensaurus and I love the pictures and the visuals they're just so they're awesome um, and it is different to something like Toffle Towers but how do you develop your own style as an illustrator? It's kind of it's a mysterious
0: sort of thing I think um, when I first started I tried copying the styles of famous cartoons, famous cartoonists, people that I whose work I admired. So to start learning to draw characters and cartoon characters, I started learning to draw the Simpsons characters. They'd just come out when I was a kid when I was in primary school. And this, this older kid down the road taught me how to draw Bart Simpson. And he has no idea. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what his name was. And he doesn't live there anymore. He moved away. But he he was the one who sort of helped start my entire career. It's ridiculous. Wow. One tiny little event um, back then. I mean, I always loved drawing before that, but the way that he showed me how to draw that character then kick-started me then drawing in a similar sort of style. So you just sort of pick up things along the way. I think illustrators are probably like birds. you know? We just sort of pick up little bits and pieces and, and collect them and they end up being part of our own style. Um, I do try and mix the style up just a little bit here and there depending on the book as well and depending on the tone that it requires. Um, So the style for My Dead Bunny and there's something weird about Lena is is very sort of gothic and dark and it's black and white with only certain little spot colours in it and I use photographic textures in it um, which makes it look like a little cartoon horror film which is very different to the style I used in my very first picture book called The Last Viking which was a digital watercolor style which is kind of very soft and airy and light and colorful um and that's different to the style we use for toffle towers which is which is very cartoony and just block grays and with a little bit of nice sort of texture to 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 break it up a little bit um, so yeah i just try and pick up what's going to work for the book but to answer the question in a really short way and i think this is true i heard it from somebody else down the line You develop your style when you stop trying to draw like anybody else Mm. and you just accept what your drawings look like. And that takes a while. You have to try to be lots of other people first before you can start to accept that this is the way that my drawings look and I'm kind of okay with that.
1: I love that answer. And I love how you described the new book as cartoon horror film. I can't wait to get it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not gory, but I just, I always love stories that have that creepy feeling, but also are funny mm-hmm. because the creepiness builds up the tension and the funny the humour cuts through the tension and releases it. So it's a nice balance to have. I don't think it doesn't need to be gory because that stops it being funny.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to my local bookshop tomorrow and I'm getting it because I can't wait to look at it.
2: Awesome, thank you. <laughs> this, this is a process question, James, uh, about the difference in time between a black and white and a colour illustration, for example, a cover of a book or or a, an illustration in a picture book compared to an illustration, a black and white full page. How much difference in time is there?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, if was was full colour... It, it would have taken me a lot longer. Um, shades of grey is, it's just much easier to apply because you're not having to consider the ways that different colours sit next to each other. Um, shades of grey are all, always going to sit well next to each other. All you've got to worry about basically is the difference in um, uh, brightness and darkness. Um, you don't have to worry about hue and the way that different colours will look next to each other. It also complicates matters when I'm a bit colorblind, so not I, not not fully, wow. but when reds and greens are next to each other, certain reds and greens, it, it's really hard for me to focus on them, wow. and they can sometimes look brown. Um, and the worst is when you get like red writing on a green background or vice versa, and then it just vibrates and I can't focus on it properly. Um, so I really avoid red and green color combinations all the time,
1: right. which is
0: what like, and what color is the color of uh, a. <laughs> Oh, no, that one's okay. Um, that one's okay.
1: I'm just yeah. looking at Chickensaurus here with a red yeah. Chickensaurus and a green background.
0: <laughs> but that, that green is more like it's, it's got a lot of blue in it. Tealy colours. Yeah. It's not, it's not bright green, whereas okay. the cover of Toffle Tower's book yeah. three, Tim, yeah. has um, green writing on a red yeah. background. And yes. I did not suggest that at all um, because I just, because I can't look at it on the screen. I just don't like those colour combinations. Um, but then the designers were like, how about this? And I was like, I'm just going to trust that <laughs> this looks okay to other people with proper color vision because I, I can't focus on it that well. And that's what they went with.
1: How much of a challenge is being slightly colorblind as an illustrator? I can't imagine it's ideal. It, it
0: doesn't actually... I don't notice it affecting me. I just choose combinations of colors next to each other that pop to my eyes. And so I guess you'll probably notice... In my work, you just won't see red and green next to each other that often. I quite often use yellow as the colour that pops the most. So on these um, Sally Tinker comics, on Brobot, Dungzilla, Gastronauts, Chickensaurus, that heading font is always bright yellow with a bit of orange on it to make it pop against everything else. Um, but I, I won't often use red or green as a, as a as a heading font or have a red on green or green on red. Just, yeah, doesn't work for me. No so Christmas I can do a Christmas specials. book. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so not going to have Sally Tinker <laughs> say Christmas. James, you love music and music's a big part of your life. Do Does music inspire you when you're working or are you a silence person? No, I definitely need to listen to stuff when I'm
0: working. Um, so I, I recently invested in some noise-cancelling headphones as well and they've been so good just to, like, block everything out. I can be in the studio and I can either listen to news. Um, I've been rapidly keeping up with world news particularly u.s politics since about 2016 no surprises why that's the day um but i often listen to yeah music and podcasts and stuff too so i can't listen to anything that's talking when i'm writing um it just doesn't work it's the same part of the brain but drawing i can be singing to myself and drawing it doesn't make an effect because it's like the words and the visual parts of my brain are different parts. They can do it at the same time.
2: Your top three albums of 2020.
0: Oh, mate, I, what I've been listening to is stuff that I don't even know if it came out in 2020.
2: Yeah, no, it doesn't have to released this year. Let's just say three, three, three most listened to albums this year, regardless of release date. All
0: right. I'm opening my phone so I can double check what are the most, <laughs> what are the most listened to? I listened to the Hamilton soundtrack over and over and over and over again in lockdown earlier this year when I was, working on *Chicken Chickensaurus, so definitely the Hamilton um, soundtrack. Um, what else have I been listening to? What's the most obvious stuff? I've been listening to a lot of a band called Lake Street Dive, which are from the US. Um, they're really great. They, they have this sort of mix of soul and um, rock and roll and Motown. Their kind of biggest influences are the Beatles and, and Motown. So if you like those two sort of styles mashed up, then look up Lake Street Dive. Rachel um, Price is the lead singer, and her voice is just incredible and She was actually born in Perth um, of all yeah, places, yeah, um but then she moved uh, her family, I guess were from the u s originally or something, and now yeah, she lives over there, and they tour in the u s they're fantastic, and also Jack Garrett um I just love the the intricacies and the depth of, of his songs they 've got so much detail in them, so many sounds going on at once and There's some really good amped up sort of songs on his new album, Love, Death and Dancing, that I've been listening to a lot. Um, If I need to, you know, amp myself up to get some energy to draw, then I can pop on some of that. That's
1: great. And, and Tim, you're a musician yourself. What about you? Three things you've been listening to lately don't even worry about release dates because i don't even listen to anything that's released <laughs> 2020
2: <huh>? yeah um <laughs> oh, i'm a i'm a huge um i'm not sure if any of the the listeners or viewers will know uh, the divine comedy from ireland so they say that um, Neil Hannon, who's the brains behind the Divine Comedy, is to Ireland as to Neil Finn is to Australia and New Zealand. He's sort of... Wow. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a very pretty cool. songwriter. So a lot of Divine Comedy. Um, Casey Musgraves, the American country artist, my five-year-old daughter and I are loving her stuff at the moment, so we've been listening to it. In fact, when, while we were cooking dinner tonight, I said, you know, come on, Adelaide, let's let's chop some veggies together and we can listen to some Casey. So we had a good old sing-along in our um, twang voices, which was fun. <laughs> And then third one, oh, yeah, there's a guy from Norway called Sondre Lerke who has an album called Patience. And, right, everyone, you've got to look up a song called um, Why Would I Let You Go and listen to that. Why Would I Let You Go by Sondre Lerke is an absolute masterpiece of music so that's that's me what about you danny
1: fantastic oh look you guys are too cool for me when it comes to music because i'm sitting here going please don't ask me look my favorite radio station is cole's radio so (laughs) that's quite telling (laughs) and and, uh, look (laughs) the most played things on my phone would be coldplay faker Oasis, Bic Runga, and my kids, I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but they, they know all the words to Linkin Park. So,
0: <laughs> Wow. I haven't I listened to some Bic Runga in a while. I've got some of her albums here. Oh, so thanks glorious. for reminding me, Denny. Yeah, she, her voice glorious. is just astonishing, isn't it? I've got to get yeah. back into some of that. Absolutely. And too, we're both big fans of um, a band from Manchester called Elbow. Yes. Um, have, you, have you got their live album, Live at the Ritz, that was released this year?
2: Um, Speaking of Manchester, no, I don't. But I did pick up Dove's new album, who is Elbow's Good Mates from Manchester, and they have a new album. No, I haven't got the Elbow live. It's cool. It's a great little one.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And I'm going to check out all the music you guys have mentioned. I'm going to be about 10% cooler tomorrow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We are not cool. You'll be 10% more of a daggy dad. That's right, yeah.
1: (laughs) None of you guys mentioned Coles Radio. I'm still waiting for you to know, agree with me. Yeah, it's a great 90s music going. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I want in my life. Now, James, here's a question for you. Why do you write slash illustrate?
0: Oh, man. Okay. You're sending me down the existential rabbit hole here, Danny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I do it because I've always done it and always enjoyed it and because I just don't want to do anything else Um, I mean I could have really applied myself and become a primary teacher like Tim did but I just didn't think I'd have the stamina to do it every day I just thought it's a really tough job and primary school teachers and other teachers don't get enough credit for what they do it's a really hard job Um, I could have become a librarian perhaps or I just I don't think I would have survived in any sort of corporate setting I just don't think it would have suited me at all um, it's much nicer having the freedom to kind of be your own boss you know editors are kind of our bosses but you know <laughs> we're kind of, our, <laughs> we're kind of we, we, we're basically on these little short term contracts and we're our own bosses and, and we get to make things that didn't exist and we get to talk to kids and encourage them and educate them and um, entertain them and, and do yeah, I, yeah exactly right I mean there's 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 bad parts to any job, but also I think all the good stuff in this job outweighs the bad. And I just can't myself see myself doing anything else.
1: When you were writing chicken Soros, did you think um, you would encourage kids who may not have been fans of reading before? Cause it was a lot of fun.
0: Um, I, I hoped. Yeah. I, I wanted it to be for, for kids who love reading and, and even for younger kids who are a bit more advanced as well as kids who uh, maybe are more reluctant readers. I, I wanted it to just to, just to be a really fun story that kids who like to read can read, and kids who don't like to read will hopefully like to read. To read. To read. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is always important.
0: We do it for the riches and the fame, don't we,
2: Tim? <laughs> yes, Absolutely.
1: we do. Oh, Absolutely. Right. Yeah,
2: you, by the way, James, are you coming to the island with me next? Oh, no. <laughs> 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 I thought we were meeting at my
0: island. <laughs>
1: Our listeners going, hmm, do Tim and James have an island?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have an archipelago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, James, for chatting to us about your new books and having some fun with Tim and our local quiz master and getting five and a quarter points out of five. That is a new record. So thank you so much. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh no thank you thanks so much for having me and tim i'll I'll transfer that 20 dollar bribe to you straight after the uh,
1: <laughs> i know you guys were so nice to each other
0: next <laughs> time next time we'll have some argy bargy ready we'll have some <laughs> have some
1: a some grievance a few no, it was next, lovely. next time
2: i'm genuinely diving into the isp questions Ice questions and <laughs> i'll be like tim how, yeah.
0: how dare you stole some coconuts from
2: my island <laughs> <laughs> no comeback to that
1: it sounds like we're (laughs) on Survivor now (laughs) and thank you Tim it's always a pleasure to have you in the co-hosting chair so it's lovely to have you back and uh, have a little bit of a quiz back in the podcast.
2: Thank you Danny and it's been nice to hear hear more, more from James as well thought I had him with the three objects. I thought he's not going to remember that because no. he would have done hundreds of illustrations since that. But he got it and the 20 cents, so that was well done. Was the impressed. bus number, I thought, no way. He's not going to remember that. But it was a birthday. <laughs> I thought he was going to get one out of five. I thought it was going to be plot question.
1: See that, James? He was trying to make it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> On the bus, the same spread as the bus, there are five onomatopoeic words to symbolize
0: the past. <laughs> i what thought you were that? gonna ask me about that i should have um i think one of them might be poot yep uh f-r-r-t furt how does he do it i don't know it's um, amazing uh uh p-h-t-h-l-b-p-h something like that no <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
2: That's a quarter of a mark gone, even though it's only like 20%. No. Uh, what are the other ones? Okay, BIP, B-I-P. Oh, yeah. The next one's hilarious. Fweet, <laughs> W-E-E-T, and then plop. P-W-A-R-P. <laughs> that would have been the best question of, oh, man. You should have done that. I should you have, have split done it that up. One.
0: You could have split it up into one-fifth of a point.